This podcast is supported by 10 of those. 10 of those is a Christian publishing company that serves local churches and ministries by providing quality Christian resources at affordable prices. 10 of those does this by buying resources we love in bulk. This allows them to pass the savings on to you and ensures that life-changing resources actually get in the hands of the people who use them. While 10 of those is a business, they are committed to using their profits to provide evangelistic resources to communities that otherwise could not afford them. When you buy from 10 of those, you help support their mission to equip the church to make Christ known throughout the world. You can buy from 10 of those directly at 10 or at one of their many pop-up bookstores. We at Baptist 21 have partnered with them before for events, and we love working with them. In fact, they're just tremendous to work with, and we hope you will check them out. Coming up, they're going to be at T4G, as well as the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference and the Worship God Conference. You should definitely check out 10 of those. So go to 10 today. Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. And uh, today on the podcast, we're going to start our series talking to potential SBC presidents. We're going to start with Pastor uh, Tom Askell. Before I turn it over to him and ask him some questions to get to know him a little bit, uh, we will have our annual Baptist 21 panel at the SBC, but we'll do it in the morning before the Tuesday uh, morning session uh, this year for the first time. And uh, Pastor Askell is one of the ones who has agreed kindly to be on that panel along with Bart Barber, uh, Danny Aiken, Al Moeller, and Juan Sanchez. We may add somebody else. We may just keep it at this number. And uh, so uh, just want you to know there's still places to sign up for that. You can come to our website, Baptist21.com, or you can find that on social media as well. Uh, but we are talking about something uh, that us Baptists do every year, which is elect a president of the Southern—well, I guess every year except for 2020, uh, elect a president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so have with me today— uh, Pastor Tom Askell. We will also interview tomorrow. I'll interview uh, Bart Barber and then uh, trying to get in contact with Dr. Hathaway to interview him as well. We will uh, at least try to interview all three of those who have been, at least at this point, said to be nominated. And so we're up first with you, Pastor Tom Askell, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Nate. Glad to do it. Well, I want to get started. Uh, first thing I will say this, there has been a panel discussion among the three candidates at First Baptist Keller. I would recommend checking that out. I'm going to do my best not to overlap too much with the questions that were asked there uh, and try to ask some distinct ones. So definitely listeners, check that out. Uh, it was a good discussion between the three of them. Uh, but I want to start out just getting to know you a little bit. Uh, sure. I do know you from uh, you know conversations and hanging out in the past, but would love for our listeners to get to know you if they don't. So first, just tell us how you came to know the Lord, a little bit about your ministry training and how you got to where you're pastor now. Yeah, well, I grew up in a home with a very godly mother. Uh, my dad had some issues, and he had to work through over the course of his life. He was the son of a Muslim immigrant from Syria and actually saw his father murdered when he was 11 years old. He was sitting right by his side on a wagon. So he dealt with all kind of difficulties, but God God helped him, and I believe saved him uh, before the end of his life. It's really a sweet testimony Amen. about that. But my mo mom was a really godly woman. She grew up in a strict Baptist home in Arkansas, and she made sure that all six of her kids were in church. And I was the youngest and 
my earliest impressions of uh, spiritual things were are from her praying in our home. So I came to know the Lord when I was eight years old. I was grew up at South Park Baptist Church, Beaumont, Texas, and just heard the gospel uh, mm. there. And God saved me one Sunday. My mom was very instrumental in helping me sort all that out. Grew up in that church when I was 16, was called to pastoral ministry, um, struggled with that quite a bit, didn't want to be a pastor for a lot of self-righteous reasons. I look back mm. on and can see more clearly but God nevertheless uh, did that. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, mm-hmm. and my best friend was converted during that sermon. So it was uh, uh, a good indication of God's kindness and mercy in my, my life. Mm-hmm. Went to Texas A&M University my senior year there. Started pastoring Rock Prairie Baptist Church and uh, did that for a couple of years. It was very gracious people. They were uh, full of patience and love and kindness. <laughs> uh, they they will all have special seating mm. in heaven because mm. of their their gentleness and patience with me. Mm. And uh, after graduating from AM, started at Southwestern working on MDiv, and then moved to serve as an assistant pastor at the Spring Valley Baptist Church in Dallas, and did that for about five and a half years. Did PhD work during that time. 1986 moved out to Cape Coral, Florida where I have been serving since as the pastor of Grace Baptist Church. And it's another congregation that will be um, um, warmly welcomed by our Savior because of their patience and kindness to me over these more than three and a half decades now. I'm married, been married 42 years, and have six kids, 15 grandkids, one on the way. And all the grandkids are right here with us and in the in church with us. The parents are faithful and serving the Lord. so. Uh, we're, we are blessed beyond measure. And I think I know my dad, I know my dad would be incredibly jealous <laughs> of the 15 grandkids being in, in your church with you. I know, you know, and I talk to grandparents and I feel, feel for them because I, it may not be like this much longer, but man, we're enjoying it now. Mm-hmm. They're, uh, they're nine and under. And so it's just oh, wow. like a tornado whenever they show yeah. up. That's awesome. So you left the, the, the country of the Republic of Texas to go do, to the mission field in, That's in right. Florida. That's exactly the way we've looked at it. We're doing foreign mission work here. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Hey, well, normally when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to ask just a series of kind of fun questions to get to know you a little bit. Okay. Think if you've ever seen the end of Family Feud where you have to answer kind of as quick as you, as you can, but just some fun questions and to get to know you, and then we'll jump to some SBC questions. So you ready to go? That's a dangerous thing, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. First question is this. Favorite book that's not the Bible? Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress. I've had that twice in the last two weeks, which is awesome. And I actually just got a pretty um, vintage copy of, of Pilgrim's Progress. I'm excited to, to look oh, at it. Second question. Favorite sports team? Texas A&M. I intentionally did that because I wanted to say gross to your answer as a Georgia Bulldog, but <laughs> you guys just got a really good class, so we'll see what uh, what Jimbo does with that class. I know, man. You know, he's going to have to start uh, producing a little bit better than he's been, but everybody's excited, so we'll see. Uh, I, I actually do love watching Texas A&M play. All right, third question, favorite athlete of all time? Oh, boy, Larry Bird. Hmm. Yeah. People don't know how good he was. If you go back and look at his stats, pretty amazing, which yeah. leads to the next question. And I ask this all the time and it's almost all, there is a right answer. Jordan or LeBron? Jordan. Yeah. I mean, even the Florida guy has to say Jordan. I, I get that. <laughs> all right. This one is new for this, this series. I'm going to ask this of all the other candidates. If you had to pick one, if it was left up to a free throw shooting contest, an SBC trivia contest, a golf contest, or an arm wrestling contest, you would say one of those I would prevail as president of the SBC. 
Uh, free throw shooting. Okay, we'll take it. I'm I'm curious to see if anybody says arm wrestling. Uh, so, <laughs> Not me. All right, last uh, last question. Text for your first sermon you ever preached on a Sunday morning. Uh, first Corinthians 13. Oh, did you really? That's awesome. And it was an exposition. Well, I mean, I'm 16 <laughs> years old. I don't know if you could call it an exposition. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I said everything I knew in 15 minutes. So <laughs> that's great. Is there any audio of that available? Oh, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> well, brother, I appreciate that. Let's let's ask some SBC questions. Uh, I'll ask some that are kind of general, then maybe some more specific as as we answer along the way. And so the first one is this. Uh, maybe two part, who is nominating you and why are you allowing your name to be nominated as SBC president? Yeah, I don't know who's nominating me. I haven't asked anybody yet. I assume it'll be whoever draws the short straw on that day and uh, has to do it. Um, the reason why is it's, you know, these people have asked me over the years, you know, would you do this? And I've just laughed it off and, uh, it's never been anything I've, I've entertained seriously at all. Mm. Um, not an aspiration, not anything I thought, you know, I should try to do. But over the last six to eight months, uh, conversations began to turn more serious. And I had hmm. people I really love and respect and and people that I didn't even know that well, but I knew hmm. of or, you know, had kind of not real formal conver- or relationships with, but but informal, uh, began to prevail upon me. And um, that got real serious after the new year. And what I did, I you know, talked to my wife always about these things. and We just laughed together. But. She, I forget when it was, long about February or March, she said, you know what, I, I'm open to that. And that's, that kind of startled me a little bit. So mm-hmm. I had a pretty serious conversation with a couple of guys not long after Donna said that. And so I went to the elders and um, said, hey, look, this is something that's being talked about. And my name's been mentioned. I've had different people talk to me. Donna's open to it. And so I laid it out to them. And every one of them, and these are brothers I trust my life with. I mean, God's blessed us with godly leaders in this church, and it's it's an amazing testimony of his grace in that. And every one of them said, no, we don't think so. I, God's doing wonderful things in the church right now, and we're seeing unusual blessing, but that creates real problems. And so those those problems, you know, if, if you can choose, always choose problems that come from blessings, but they're problems. You got to deal mm-hmm. with them. And so yeah. we, uh, one of them said, we need all hands on deck, and we just don't see you taking on one more thing. And I was fine with that. So I just told these guys, look, you know, thank you, but I, this is not the time for me. And, um, and they continued, a couple of them especially continued to prevail upon us and upon me and asked to talk to the leaders in the church. And so one of them did that, a friend of mine. And uh, they said, well, that was on, on Monday. They said no. On, on Sunday, we sat down and had a conversation and they said, well, let's, let's think and pray about mm-hmm. it uh, for a few days. And so they came back Wednesday, one by one, without having consulted each other, every one of them flipped. Every one of them said, you know what? We believe this is a, a good thing, and uh, we think you ought to consider it. You ought to be willing to do it. So with that, I just reconfirmed with Donna, and uh, I said, okay, you know, what, what does that look like? What do I do? And that's how I got into this. Uh, so it's, it's been a mm-hmm. confirmed thing to me by God's leading men to give counsel to me who I really trust. And that's kind of where I am on this. Hmm. Hear this question as intended. Again, I'm going to ask this of everybody. It's not a, like I'm asking you to brag about yourself, but what kind of what makes you stand out as a candidate? You know, when you run, you're running against 
to, and again, we don't even use the language of run, but as you're nominated, you're nominated against two other guys. Uh, and so kind of what, why you as a unique uh, candidate as compared to these other two brothers? Again, hear that as, as I intend that question. Yeah, no, no, I, I get it. I mean, I think probably God has been more gracious to me. I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from Bart or Robin. I love those brothers, but good night. Uh, my life is a testimony of God's grace. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be anywhere uh, except in prison, but God's been so kind and merciful to me. So I, I, I know I'm growing more and more in my knowledge and understanding of God's grace. And I'm a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm a pastor of a kind of regular sized church. I've been a pastor a long time down here in South Florida. Mm. And I, I do think our convention needs to be led by a pastor, nothing against Robin, but I've said that for years that there's something about the gravitas of having to look at people in the eye every week that you're going to give an account for before God on the day of judgment that I, I think helps to um, give the, the the tone and kind of leadership we need in the convention. I've been a lifelong Southern Baptist. You know, I love the, I love the convention. I connect with pastors all over the convention, been doing that mm -hmm. for years. Um, I think I have a pretty good read on, on what typical, Southern Baptist pastors are thinking, at least, you know, my email suggests that I'm, I'm getting a lot of that. So maybe an echo chamber, but if so, it comes from a wide spectrum across the convention. And, you know, I, I think I, I see some things going on in the convention uh, that are not healthy. I see some dangers for us that if we don't give attention to in a decisive way, I fear we will be uh, in a bad place in a few years. And so, I've addressed those. I've written about those things. I've talked about them. I've tried to to do so uh, without just going off on a screed, but but actually trying to be thoughtful about them. And um, and so I, I think these things need to be addressed. And mm -hmm. there seem to be a lot of other guys that that think that way too. And and um, so I think I could represent a pretty uh, wide swath of the convention that feels like they haven't been heard lately in the last many years and would hope if God puts me in that position that I would be able to uh, lead and, and represent all Southern Baptists in a way that would, you know, honor the Lord and, and be faithful to their concerns. Mm. This question will be kind of two parts, so somewhat of a mouth, mouthful, so kind of feel the the freedom to, to go and jump with whatever part you want. And even if you want to weave in kind of some of the unhealthy things you, 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 say, you see uh, as far as kind of one of the reasons you'd want to run. So, we do seem divided right now um, in, in a certain way. Some people, maybe more so than some people think, maybe less so than some people think. I, you know, again, we don't know how to always read that. So how will you kind of help unite us around the BFNM 2000 for the propagation of the gospel? Maybe even thinking through how do we help each other disagree and even debate with charity without mm -hmm. demonizing one another? But then also, what role does theological triage and the BFNM 2000 play in what should we divide over and what should we just debate and dialogue and discuss and disagree, but not divide over? So again, big question, yeah. thinking BFNM 2000 is a rallying point, theological triage and that kind of thing. How will you help unite us? How will you help us have these conversations? And then what are maybe the main issues that it's, A, it's okay to disagree on this, but on this one, it's okay to divide over, if that if that all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's no uh, surprise to anybody that's been familiar with me over the years that I'm a convinced Calvinist, you know, I, I'm a confessional Calvinist. Shocking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. 
And, you know, and I've crossed swords over those issues with brothers that I disagree with, sometimes very strongly and, and sometimes stridently and, and embarrassingly, I have to confess, sometimes sinfully. And, uh, uh, but God's, God's convinced me of the importance of unity through the years. And so, I mean, I, you know, I was involved. In fact, I don't think it's too much to say I was the impetus behind the Building Bridges Conference Many years ago, and uh, got your dad involved. At I was there. Street. Yeah, Tom Rayner involved at Lifeway, and say, hey, I think this is a good idea that we can get together and have a conversation about Calvinism and uh, non-Calvinism. And we did that. And I thought the conference went really well. I was encouraged with the tone, the spirit, uh, the rigor of the presentations. And so, you know, that's that's one indication of my involvement in trying to bring things together. And then Frank Page invited me to join the. Uh, Calvinism Study Committee, I think it was called. I was kind of a, the last edition late <laughs> in the uh, fourth quarter. But they, I think they wanted a real Calvinist on there is what I think. But I, I don't know what happened. But anyway, they put me on there. And uh, I got to go to one meeting, and it was a long meeting. And mm-hmm. it was uh, it lasted a long time, and it went into the night. And it was wonderful. I told Frank afterwards, man, I wish we'd had video cameras here because I mm-hmm. think it would have been healthy for the convention to see that we can have this kind of high-level, pointed debate. I mean, very specific, exegetical, theological, philosophical debate over words and concepts that we disagree about, but do it in a brotherly way. And I came Mm -hmm. out of that meeting with some real friends that, you know, we don't agree on soteriology, but but we agree on other things. And I'm grateful for that. So, you know, Bringing people together hasn't been something foreign to me. It's been something that I, I see the value of. I want to do it. I've attempted to do it. Uh, and we do have a lot of divisions. And uh, we have strident voices all around us. I try not to be one of those. And, you know, I can't tell you I've never been one of those. But, but my heart's desire is to not sin in my speech. And I've asked people, both those who agree with me and who disagree with me, to feel free to call me out when I sin. If I sin in what I say or how I say it, to call me out. And uh, and they've done that. Some have done that. They've helped me. Anybody anybody that can show me where I've sinned has helped me. And I'm you know, I'm, I'm confident in, in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to fear my sin. And I'm willing, I want to be willing to look at it and listen to it. So the strident voices, sometimes they point out things we need to see. But very often, they just make it more difficult to address things that are seen that need to be addressed. And we have divisions. I mean, we have divisions over women in ministry. Uh, You know, we've had it very uh, prominently displayed by Rick Warren recently when they celebrated the ordaining of two women pastors. This is a new day in the church, you know, a new thing God's doing. Uh, We had a few years ago, Beth Moore and others joking about them preaching on Mother's Day and you know, don't tell anybody. And it, it just, you know, I mean, to them, it's it's a silly thing. To me, it's a, it's a real affront to what the New Testament teaches about mm-hmm. the church of Jesus Christ. And so that kind of stuff has gone on. Uh, we got real dis- disagreements on how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters who have different racial backgrounds and different ethnicities and what reconciliation looks like in those situations and how we are to care for uh, those that are minority cultures among us. I mean, I don't know any Southern Baptist that says we, you know, should just divide and not care about, but how do we do that? What does that look like? 
And there are these ideologies in the world that you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to recognize what's going on today in our culture. Uh, we've got housewives showing up at school board meetings saying, you're not going to teach CRT to my kids, and you're not going to teach queer theory to my kids. And and the the whole sexual thing, that's a whole other deal, LGBTQ stuff. I don't think we have any Southern Baptists I know of, at least not any prominent ones, that are advocating uh, the LGBTQ plus agenda or um, the the whole kind of uh, ideology that comes with the rise of the modern self to riff off Carl Truman. I don't think we're there, but the ideologies that we have let in are part and parcel of what lead to that. That's my concern. And I don't, I don't think we all agree on that, but I think I see that pretty clearly. I'm willing to argue for it. And that's my concern is that we think we can use CRT to deal with racial issues, but we, we are going to be inoculated somehow from queer theory and they come from the same stock. And it, I don't, I don't think it's possible. I think it's the wrong foundation that we should be trying to stand on in order to address real problems that might exist with racial um, disparities or difficulties or animosities or whatever they might be. So uh, those are some things that I see that are out there in the world that have crept in. They've come into evangelical spaces all over. We're naive to think that they're not among us as Southern Baptists. In fact, I think I've documented examples uh, where we've seen elements of it, even amongst those who say we reject CRT, and yet they're advocating very the, the very way of thinking and principles that are inherent in CRT. So I just want to call attention to it and say, hey, can we have a conversation? Can, can we look at this and agree that it's not good to have these kinds of things among us and that we ought to perhaps be more rigorous in how we understand what it means to be a convention of churches that are united around a common confession. And the Baptist faith and message is a a, a fine confession of faith. But what I see happening, I've been told this, you know, by, uh, well, a specific example, you know, some, a professor, one of our seminaries, it's endorsed revoice, refuses to remove the endorsement. And when I've engaged in dialogue about it. I said, well, look, man, she signed the Baptist Faith and Message. She signed Danvers. She signed Nashville. She signed the Abstract of Principles. And I'm, my response is, yeah, that's, that's even a bigger problem because it's the subsoil that's being eradicated by these ideologies where we, we say we, can, we believe the inerrancy of Scripture. We're all inerrantists, but we think that in order to care well for someone, we've got to imbibe ideologies that come from the poisoned well of Marxism and postmodernism. And if we don't do it according to that prescription, then we're not caring well. So those are concerns that I have. And I, I know, you know, that all of that could bear a lot of unpacking, but uh, there, there are examples that are I've seen over the course of years that have raised my alarms. Yeah, let me ask maybe some specific follow-ups. Again, I'm, I may throw two or three questions in there. I apologize, but just uh, there was a lot there. Um, so some have argued that that we, we may not be as far apart. I think there's an article in First Things or something. We may not be as far apart as we think we are, that this sort of comes down to how we view, how we engage culture. So there's kind of cultural warrior, like the, the categories are cultural warrior, cultural engager. Um. Could could there be some truth to that? That maybe we just this is an an aspect of 
We don't really disagree on some of the most fundamental things. We disagree on how to best engage what is taking place in the culture. That's one question. So at least would love to hear your thoughts to that. Yeah. A second part to that would be, so uh, to those who say CRT is completely useless or to those who say CRT can be useful because it helps me understand how to interpret the Bible clearly. Again, I, I know, I think I know what your pushback would be. Would you see how somebody views CRT as a test of fellowship uh, and, and unpack that? So kind of, is this, is this maybe something to do more of not our theological and philosophical presuppositions as much as how do we engage culture? I think would, would obviously love to hear what you say is CRT and how you view it a test of fellowship. And maybe that's a spectrum too. And so again, would love to hear your thoughts. So anyways, I'll just, I just kind of throw that out and let you, you kind of run with how you want to go with that. This podcast is supported by 10 of those. 10 of those is a Christian publishing company that serves local churches and ministries by providing quality Christian resources at affordable prices. 10 of those does this by buying resources we love in bulk. This allows them to pass the savings on to you and ensures that life-changing resources actually get in the hands of the people who use them. While 10 of those is a business, they are committed to using their profits to provide evangelistic resources to communities that otherwise could not afford them. When you buy from 10 of those, you help support their mission to equip the church to make Christ known throughout the world. You can buy from 10 of those directly at 10 or at one of their many pop-up bookstores. We at Baptist 21 have partnered with them before for events, and we love working with them. In fact, they're just tremendous to work with, and we hope you will check them out. Coming up, they're going to be at T4G, as well as the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference and the Worship God Conference. You should definitely check out 10 of those. So go to 10 today. Yeah, I, I have no doubt that some of our differences are primarily, if not merely verbal, but others of them are certainly consequential. And we won't know which is which without talking about them and, and being straightforward and honest and, you know, not not trying to engage in too much nuance, but but being as forthright as we can be. Um, <clears throat> the The verbal differences, my guess would be, would come down to ways that we ought to relate to culture, whether in terms of declaring war or trying to uh, engage it in a more winsome way. But some of these things, they, they have consequences, though they might appear to be only verbal. Let me give you one example. You know, uh, J.D. Greer's talked about uh, pronoun hospitality and that you use a preferred pronoun by a person based upon that person's identity and that that's a loving thing to do. I understand that argument. Uh, I reject the argument because I think to look at a man, somebody that God created to be a man, and to call that person her, to communicate to that person that you are affirming or agreeing with a chosen identity that is contrary to what God made you to be, I think is participating in a lie. And so it, it's not just a verbal thing with me because of my understanding of all of those dynamics. I get it. Some people may not take it that way at all. I say it's just words. You know, it's just words, her, him, it doesn't matter. Um, my understanding of reality, my stewardship of how to live in God's real world will not allow me to do that. And so I'd be willing to lose a job over it. And we've had people in our church that have actually uh, had to leave jobs because they refused to call Steve Jane or uh, proper pronouns. 
So it, that's, you say, well, where's that in the Baptist faith and message? Well, it's not in the Baptist faith and message in any one article, but it is the substrata on which the Baptist faith and message rests because we're living in a real world that's been created by a real God who has done these things in Revelation that are true. And God's word in Revelation, general Revelation, is just as inerrant as his word in the specific saving revelation of Scripture. And that's that's a whole other area I don't think we've thought through as carefully as we need to in our day. And as a result, I think we're being manipulated off of some foundations that we, we desperately must guard and, and regain. How would you recommend that we have dialogue about that substrata? Again, if if there is differences of vocabulary, um, how, how would we, again, how would we navigate that conversation without, I mean, at some point, and maybe I'll just go and ask another question. Let me ask it like this, and then we can come back to the substrata question. There, there's, there's at least always been in the SBC that we've come back from a danger of liberalism. We've seen that very clearly. We, we turn the ship, as it were, uh, and change the seminaries. There are some who are coming in now and saying they're like liberalism is still a real danger, but there's also a danger of kind of this narrow, you know, separatist fundamentalism on the other side. Do you do you see both, uh, maybe say ditches, both ditches as at least real dangers for the SBC? Is there is there a form of of sectarian fundamentalism that is that is bad, or I don't, I don't want to say as bad. I don't want to like give degrees to it, but it's bad, just as liberalism is bad. And then underneath that, how do we navigate the substrata that, with things that may not be clearly spelled out in the BFNM that might be just differences of how you engage or vocabulary and, and avoid those two pitfalls? Yeah, well, there's no doubt. You know, we've got all kinds of in this, across the spectrum in the SBC, and I have no doubt that there are those that would be more narrowly sectarian. Um, I don't view the SBC and the struggles or what I perceive to be our, our problems or challenges right now. I don't view it on a continuum of, of liberalism to conservatism to fundamentalism. I just don't think that's helpful. It's not a paradigm that helps me to try to assess um, because I don't know Southern Baptists today that aren't inerrantists. Everybody affirms inerrancy. Uh, that's part of what makes this so challenging. Back in the 1970s, 1980s, we had true neo-Orthodox, uh, true crypto-liberals among us. I mean, when a guy takes the Bible and throws it into the garbage can to start his lecture on the scriptures, okay, you know, we don't have that today. And praise God, I mean, we, we don't have that. So I don't find it helpful to talk about, well, you know, this they're liberal and we're conservative or we're fundamentalist. Again, I see this as a far more subtle and therefore more difficult to engage type of problem that you've got Everybody's an inerrantist, but you got some who are saying you got to use pronoun hospitality and others that are saying, no, if you do that, then you're actually lying. You're participating in a lie. And I would be in that category. Um, so the, the, the issues have to be engaged, not, not the way we would typically engage conservatism, liberalism. And that it makes it more challenging, but the boundaries at least are there for us to, to keep appealing to. But I've been saying to our congregation now for, gosh, maybe 10 years, the most important verse in all the Bible is Genesis 1-1, because you can't assume reality anymore. You just can't. And everything's constructed. And what I want to do is, is say, hey, brothers, sisters, 
The world's not constructed. Reality's not constructed. Sin's not constructed. These these are ontological realities we must deal with in God's real world. And it's if we're not clear on that, then you know what difference does it make what we think about Article Four and the Baptist Faith and Message? I mean, you, yeah. you can you can assign it, but yeah. you're not dealing in the real world with the real God. That's and I I really believe this. I mean, I, I you know maybe it's just a kind of a utopian optimism of mine, but I really believe that if Southern Baptists could be convinced of these issues, that they would, I would not find myself so far away from them. I think I'd be closer to them. And I'm not trying to say that I'm the standard by which everything's to be judged, but uh, I do scratch my head sometimes and think, how can I, how can I be so different in my perspective from this brother versus this brother? And I do think it has to do more with these kind of underlying uh, philosophical, if you will, or ontological realities. And, and if we can turn on lights so that we're all seeing more clearly, then we'll be better poised to have, have better conversations. You, you, you use the word standard. You did help create a movie called by what standard, right? <laughs> I did, but I wasn't talking about myself. Okay, okay? okay good, good, good. Um, uh, so I, last year I felt like, and maybe I just was, I've tried for most of the time to stay off of Twitter uh, except for reading Georgia Bulldog Twitter Twitter accounts, which has made my my life a lot happier, but it felt like last year, and maybe this is more CBN conversation that we were saying there needs to be. There were some saying there needs to be another conservative resurgence. Would you, mm-hmm. based upon what you said, even just not seeing a continuum, would you agree disagree with that statement? Well, yeah, and again, you got to get your definitions right. And yep. so I tried to give mine earlier, and 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 some of the people saying that might be saying it with a definition that I would buy into, and say, so, yeah, given that definition, I would agree with you. I think we definitely need a correction. I think we, we need we need a change in direction in the sense that if we just keep on going on because things are okay and we, we operate on the basis as if everything's largely okay, uh, I, I think we will go in a direction that will be very unhelpful. And with every passing year, I think that will become even more apparent. So I'm not among those that think we got a bunch of liberals that have come into the SBC again we got to define our terms. Sure. If you're if you're talking about Clark Pinnock liberal, we don't have any of those. They're mm-hmm. not among us. If you're talking about guys that see things differently than I do on these issues, well, yeah, we do, and we ought to have some conversations about that because I mean, people have lost their jobs over it, and maybe some you know will lose their jobs in the future over it. And uh, if it's that important, let's talk. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. let's make sure we're not talking past one another. And if if a person if we can't fellowship together, let's at least be sure that we know why that is. It's not just accusations and it's not just ethereal ideas that are floated around out there, but we actually have substance that says, no, this is a bridge too far. Uh, I can't say this. I can say that, but we got to get there. That's helpful. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons we're trying to have the panel we're trying to have at the SBC is that I do think social media and other places, there's not chance for nuance. There's oftentimes you kind of get in your camps. There needs to be dialogue because we are, uh, brothers, and there needs to be dialogue across mm-hmm. what would be right now seen as uh, lines of opposition. Uh, I mentioned the CBN. The CBN's endorsed you, but but you're not on the steering council. What's what is your relationship to the CBN? Yeah, I don't I don't have a relationship with the CBN. Uh, I mean, I love I love those brothers. There's many of them that I've gotten to know over the last few years that are friends of mine, and uh, you know I've grown to to know others that I didn't know before that I my heart just goes out and I rejoice in what they're doing. I mean, Javier Chavez 
He's a pastor in Georgia, and man, he was involved in Peruvian politics. We've got some Peruvians in our church. He's been helpful uh, with them. Mike Stone, uh, the way Mike Stone was treated last year was ungodly. It was wicked. I've said that repeatedly So once I discovered what happened. And uh, I just I love Mike Stone. He's got a heart, you know, that just loves God, loves people. And um, we, we're not on the same theological page on everything, n- neither with Javier. But those are those are just examples that come to my mind. Yep. So, yeah, I praise God that they've endorsed me. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. And in fact, you know, I, I some of those guys have become friends I didn't know before. And they they have welcomed my counsel and they've offered me counsel. And I'm grateful for that, you know, and, and yeah. some sometimes the counsel that we've had back and forth with, I'm thinking of a few friends, one guy that I've never really met face to face, contradicted other counsel that I got from people in the same boat with him, you know, and yeah. and that's fine. I I can handle that. I just, I love the fact that we can talk, you know, and, and talk as yeah. brothers. And uh, I've had some funny stories about all that too, talking about our convention being divided and needing to be unified. Well, when have you ever seen non-Calvinists and Calvinists coming together uh, more than you have with, with well, s- some people who yeah. want to elect me as president. <laughs> uh, that that uh, uh, strange bedfellow seems to be the thing that comes to my mind. I, I'll ask the question like this because I made this observation pre twenty twenty to a couple pastors, where it seemed like, given kind of how somebody viewed and I maybe to say liked or didn't like Donald Trump, there was a it was dividing guys who had the same soteriology and ecclesiology. They seemed to be very divided, particularly on. Again, this could be a cultural engagement issue, but really it came down to Trump as the nexus of it. And then it was uniting guys like like the guys you just mentioned, like you, who has a reform soteriology, a more, at least I would say, kind of nine marks ecclesiology, Baptist, and even kind of have been a champion of historic Baptist, you know, regenerate church membership and so forth. And it seemed like then you were on the same team with guys who, at least in the past, I think when you wrote on the traditional statement, had implied that some of their statement on this, you know, traditional statement was like semi-Pelagian, and yet, and they have a different ecclesiology, much more pragmatic, and yet you guys seem to be united around politics. So there are some asking: Is politics unifying and dividing us more than historical soteriological and ecclesiological things? And and why is that? I mean, I've even had guys say, I don't even recognize the founders I used to learn, you know, Calvinistic theology from. So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. I should have reached out to you before now to ask that question. No, it's a fair question, and my answer is no. It's not politics. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a straightforward answer. Does it? Are there, are there political implications? Absolutely. And the reason those implications exist is because our theology. And again, Nate, I, I see this as going back to Genesis one one. You know, we're up here wanting to talk about the five points of Calvinism and are the Senate of Dort and the Remonstrance, Contra Remonstrance articles, when we're standing on ground that is being overtaken by a wildfire. And if we don't stop the wildfire, then we're all going to burn and we'll never be able to have the debates again. I'm, I've told several of these guys that, that uh, you know, we used to cross swords over Calvinism and in, in, in literary ways and verbal ways. We'd have debates and stuff that um, if if God helps us, to get through this over the next four or five years, I'll be delighted to buy you a cup of coffee and we'll start debating Calvinism again. I'll happily do that. But right now the house is on fire and and we've got to get together. We've got to unite together to put it out so that it doesn't get engulfed. I mean, right now we've got opportunity. I think we're, we're not where a, a lot of the Christian organizations have gone. Uh, you know, I, and I've, 
well, I won't, well, maybe, well, like crew, you know, we supported people in crew and I watched some of their national conventions the last couple of years. And I'm thinking, are we practicing the same religion? We're not. And it's not because those people decided overnight to just flip out and go wild. It's the, the very thing that the apostle Paul warns us again, to be careful, see to it that you're not taken captive by empty deceptive philosophies. We must see to it. Why? Because it's going to be a a real temptation. It's going to be a danger. Those warnings are in the scripture for a reason. And I think we're naive to the point of being derelict of duty if we don't look at the warnings and look at our situation today in our culture and say, okay, where are the flashpoints? And and are we susceptible or are we immune? If we think we're immune, we're naive. But where are we susceptible and maybe where have those things come in? And again, there's enough evidence that indicates, yeah, yeah, the, the it's crept in among us. So does it affect politics? Well, yeah, it does. I mean, Jesus is Lord of everything. He's Lord of the political system. But I, I, I really kind of chap a little bit whenever people say, oh, well, you're just a Trumpster, you know, or whatever. I mean, I criticize Donald Trump. And uh, people in our church would never confuse me with a, a, a Trumpster or Trumpian guy. And, and our congregation doesn't think that way about these issues. We're, we're trying to help them to think these, these, about these things theologically, biblically, historically, and somewhat philosophically as well. And all of that impinges upon what you do when you go to the voting booth. And I mean, I'd, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't vote for. Hillary Clinton to be garbage collector. I just wouldn't do it. You know, I think she's yep. immoral and demonic and, and anyway, so I'm, politics plays into it, but I think the people who have taken that and said, let's, it's all because of politics. Maybe it's because my side hadn't done a very good job of saying, no, 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 all this is theological. I mean, founders ministries, we may have been a little too pietistic in uh, a subjectively pietistic, I want to qualify that subjectively pietistic in our addressing things because of the world that we lived in. But the world we live in now is such that if we don't get a handle on what it means to stand for Christ in this culture, if we keep trying to do it the way it was done 40 years ago, um, we're just going to be washed over like we've seen happen so many other places. Are you familiar with Aaron Wren's article that he wrote? So I'm fairly certain Aaron Wren was the person I mentioned from that wrote the First Things article about culture warrior, kind of basically when Christianity was positive. Positive world, neutral world. Yes, yeah. that's what I was re- referencing earlier yeah. when I was talking about culture warrior, culture, culture engager. I thought it came from that Aaron Wren article. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I mean, Aaron's helped me with that to, uh, to try to make sense. It's, at least it's a useful paradigm thus far. Um, and we're in a day now, it's a negative world. And they're coming after all of us. I mean, that's the thing I think that the Calvinist, non-Calvinist in the convention that agree on these things, I think that's what they see rightly, we see rightly, is they're coming after all of us here. And so it doesn't matter if you're premillennial, postmillennial, amillennial, it doesn't matter if you're Calvinist, non-Calvinist, we've got to coalesce around Christ and the, the reality that's given to us in Scripture about the world in which we live, when people are telling us, nope. That's not the world. This is the world. You got to believe this is the world. You got to you got you, you to know we're we're being told what we need to see and what we need to think about what we see. Two plus mm. two is five. Mm. And if we don't come to terms with that reality 
And that's where James Lindsay, the atheist, I mean, he gets that. You know, he, he's not he's not sophisticated enough in his uh, thinking to deny reality that two plus two equals four, which mm. all our betters are telling us we've got to overcome. That's that's the issue that I see. And I do believe God's raised the the SBC, used the SBC for years to be a bulwark, I mean, especially after the 70s and 80s and what he did there, to right. stand upon unpopular views that come from the scripture. And my fear is we will lose that if mm-hmm. we play footsies with these ideas that have come in from the world with people telling us, this is what you must see, this is what you must do if you're going to be just, if you're going to be loving. And man, I just keep saying, we got a book. <laughs> God's given us a word. Mm-hmm. We don't need uh, somebody to tell tell us what love is and what justice is. God has already spoken on that. And when we get that right and we stand for it, we we shouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. when those who hate God begin to hate us. And my fear is that we've so long lived now wanting to be liked by the world and those who hate God that we're willing to acquiesce on some points that we just can't afford to if we're going to be faithful. I had lunch today with a pastor who's from Great Britain, um, from England, and he, yeah, I mean, they basically, he was in a building project. He signed a statement that was uh, basically speaking against homosexuality in the sense of there, there's at least a law that's beginning to be passed that's going to say any kind of form of trying to convert a homosexual and have them repent of homosexuality is conversion therapy. Right. And so anyways, I, I, so I do think, I, I think most all sides and streams in the SBC, so I don't even think sides, like there, there's so many different streams. There's, you know, there's reformed founder stream and then there's more, you know, kind of mega church stream and there's, there's all these streams. Sure. I think almost everybody in every stream sees the culture turning against us in that sense. And I think part of the frustration right now is it feels like we are divided and that we're lobbing bombs at each other. And I think people, some people feel like you've done that and and so what what would you say to that? Like, I, I know I'm actually just trying to stand on things that I think are true and actually best for us long term. Mm-hmm. But there is this sense in which it feels adversarial. Does that mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your response to that. Yeah, well, and, and I get that. You know, I don't want to be adversarial, but quite honestly, I feel like I'm the adversary on the part of many. Uh, Nate, I've had private conversations with leaders in the SBC about these things uh, before I've ever done anything publicly. I've gone privately. And it's just been frustrating to me. I mean, I, you know, I don't doubt the sincerity, the integrity of the people I've talked to. But I remember hanging up the phone after one conversation with an SBC leader. And I looked across the room at my associate pastor. I said, we're in trouble. So he's not going to help us. We need help. (laughs) He ought to be helping us. He's not going to help us. I've looked and talked to guys in the SBC. I said, we need you in this fight. We need you at your best. I've said, "If, if I'm wrong. I'm so bad wrong. I need your help to convince me because I think I see it. And if if this is right, then you need to get engaged in this effort. And we just, you know, we're on different sides. And so I, I think I represent a lot of people who just have come to a point of frustration and trying to to encourage guys that are far better qualified than I am to address these things and to do so with both eyes open that, you know, being put off, being put off, being told you don't belong here. One professor, one of our seminaries said, man, you're like the guy who twists the ears of a dog said, you're, you're engaging in something that doesn't concern you. When I was raising a question about the seminary, I said, that's fascinating. I'm a pastor of a Southern Baptist church. You know, Hmm. 
I actually told this dear brother, he's a friend. I said, you live in an echo chamber, man. Mm -hmm. I said, it's guys like me that have these concerns that you ought to be responding to, not because we're so important, but because we're Southern Baptist churches out here. And uh, after a while, you say, okay, all right, you're not listening. I'm going to do whatever I can to get the biggest mirror I can and to hold it up and to force you to look at what is really going on. And I know people didn't like that and don't like that. And I don't enjoy that, quite honestly. I'm 65 years old. I got a full plate right here at Grace Baptist Church to keep me busy till the day I die. And, uh, you know, I, it's not something I've chosen. It's something I feel like God has just uh, providentially put me into. I, I could tell you a lot of stories. Let me just limit it to one. But back at the MLK 50 conference uh, celebration, you know, I, I asked some people that institutions that were responsible for sponsoring that, how are you going to do this? You know, how are you going to do <laughs> I mean, MLK is a complicated figure, right? I just read Ralph Abernathy's uh, When the Walls Come Tumbling Down, his autobiography before that event. And so I got the end. Well, we're just going to look at a narrow slice of his life, you know, his civil rights work. Well, praise God for the civil rights good that that uh, MLK did. But as I watched that event online, and the BD Anyabuele, who you know, I would say, I don't know if he'd say it today, but we were we were friends for decades. But he started writing some articles, and I, you know, turned my head on it. So I I wrote one article in response, and I sent it to him. I said, brother, I just disagree with you. Help me if I'm misunderstanding it. And so he read the article. He made some critiques. He said, I don't think you're fair here, you know. And so I, I made changes in the article. And we went back and forth. I don't know, two or three articles maybe uh, we wrote. And we both got busy and didn't finish out the the full debate. But I, I wrote him privately. I said, hey, look, I just don't see this. Give me some books. And so he, he sent me a list of maybe, I don't know, eight or ten titles. I went out and bought the books, read them. And remain unconvinced. You know, I just saw kind of problems with those books. So to the people who think that I've been bombastic, well, maybe I have. And if I've been sinful, I want to be called on it. Anybody who's hearing this, who sees where I've sinned, please let me know. I don't want to sin. But I do think sometimes today we live in such a um, a cultural moment of snowflakes and safe spaces that anybody who says, I wish they would just go ahead and castrate themselves is regarded as somehow being unbiblical. And so I'm not willing to own that type of critique, or I'm, I'll listen to it. But if you can't show me from the Bible, then I'm, I'm not going to be moved by it. But if you can show me from the Bible, you will serve me well, because I don't want to be bombastic. I genuinely don't. But I think we got problems, and I think we got to address those problems. You've been more than gracious with your time. I'd love to ask just two or three more questions sure. if you've got time. Uh, and, and maybe we'll kind of turn direction to just some specific uh you know, responsibilities you would have as president of the SBC. So the first one is, and just again, to be honest, I have not had a chance to get on Twitter. There's, there's some kind of controversy and that you've posted something about your conversation with Baptist Press. Let me just ask it like this. In the past couple of years, there's been a push to appoint a pretty diverse background to the committees and even include more women. Will you continue that trend? Kind of what's your philosophy when it comes to picks on the committee? Will you put women on committees? I'll let you speak for yourself and and give us an answer. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, by the way, I record everything I do now for that. You know, I've been doing it for years, so uh, I don't mind. I assume every conversation I have is being recorded, so I just want to make sure I'm quoted correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, I am not. I'm not a fan of saying, "Oh, we got to have diversity, therefore let's let's have 
six of these people, four of these people. I mean, because, you know, you get on that road, you just lose your biblical qualifications pretty quickly. I want the best people available. Now, our Constitution requires certain diversity in uh, lay people versus pastors and others. And you got to follow those. There's no doubt. I want the best people available. Do I think that women can serve on the boards of trustees? Absolutely. When I was asked, well, will you be appointing any women chairman on the boards of trustees? The president only appoints three committees. It's the Teller's Committee. It's the Resolutions Committee. It's the Committee on Committees. I said, and I believe, I do not see myself appointing a woman as a chairman of, of a committee. Those are, I only get three of them. So if I were to be president. So does that mean I think women uh, don't... Uh, serve well on committees? No, man, 1989, Southern Baptist Seminary, uh, there were only nine people that voted against Molly Marshall Green's tenure. One of them was a housewife from Texas. Uh, I think her name was Barker, De- Debbie Barker, if I remember mm-hmm. right. Praise God, she had enough backbone, more so than a lot of the men on the on the trustees, to stand against that. So you know, that's I, I got five daughters, <laughs> you know, strong women. I got a, a strong wife. So uh, and yeah, that's that's my answer to that. When the SBC was in Louisville, I went to hear, I don't, maybe I shouldn't have done this, but I, Molly Marshall was preaching at a church. I went to hear her, and it was a whole sermon from Second Samuel about how we needed more women going to seminary. Not sure how she found that in the text, uh, <laughs> but she thought she did. So, all right, last two questions. Uh, if you were made Pope of the SBC for a day, <laughs> not just president, I want to know one thing you would immediately change about our convention and one thing you would immediately change about the annual meeting. Oh, my goodness, Pope. Well, <laughs> so non-Baptist in the question, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, change about the Southern Baptist Convention. I would require us to be a convention that is honest in our assessments of our churches. So I think if we did that, that would go a long way. Uh, hmm. the, the whole regenerate church membership is the background of that. Changing the annual meeting, I would do away with a lot of the the pomp and a triumphalistic spirit and call us to a, a, a greater humility. In fact, if I could do it, I would say, hey, we, we would spend two days in prayer and fasting mm. and um, we would not be patting ourselves on the back so much. I'll get you out of here on this question. Just a, a broad hopes for the future of the SBC. Well, man, again, I, we are the largest Protestant denomination in North America. What happens in the SBC matters. My hope is that God will humble us, uh, that he'll return to us a a deep sense of the fear of God, and that that will animate all of our actions so that we will take our stand on what the Word says, regardless of cost or consequences, and that we might be, in the generations to come, a force for genuine godliness and genuine godly advance. Uh, That may look different than it has in the past generations. And if so, fine. I just, I, we've got an opportunity. We got a stewardship, and I, I want to see us handle that well going forward. And uh, we won't do that without a return to the fear of God. Brother, you've given me an hour of your time. I, I really appreciate it, and certainly uh, we'll be praying for you and praying for the SBC as we have what I don't know a month now. Oh, there's so much going on between now and then. But um, just thank you so much for your time. We'll see you Tuesday morning in Anaheim, Lord willing. All right, Nate. Thanks very much for this opportunity. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. 
Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, babbis21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.